Thank you for listening to Freelance Kills. This podcast is for entertainment and education purposes only. Nothing I say should be considered financial or investment advice. Please contact a registered and licensed investment advisor or tax professional for any advice on your own personal situation. beautiful part about any craft is starting at the beginning Mm -hmm. that is the most purest form of artistry because you have to learn the building blocks every little step Mm -hmm. all the fundamentals i mean that's the most beautiful part to me you start with what do you want your game to be what would make your game most unstoppable or hard to deal with and now you work backwards from there you start building it one piece at a time, one move at a time, one counter at a time. Hello, welcome back. Another Wednesday on Freelance Kills. I'm recording this on August 4th, a Tuesday, but got to prepare it somehow, right? This episode is going to be all about commitment. How do we use commitment as a fulcrum, a piece of leverage that we can apply on the different areas this podcast cares about, career, money, personal wellness? How do we establish that commitment in our own lives in order to drive our motivation, change the way that we think, and how to, how to make big changes with small steps. This is going to be a short episode uh, because this is just a good nugget of information, a good a nugget of wisdom. And so I don't want to talk about it too much. That'd be unnecessary. So enjoy the shorter episode and let's get into it. Before I get too deep in it, I want to take a moment to thank you for listening and supporting the show. It's not a perfect show, but it's a valuable one. It's valuable and it's free. If you're enjoying the episodes, do me a quick favor, subscribe to the show on whatever platform you're using. And if you want to take it another step, like and rate the show. That way the cream can rise to the top. And if you're really looking for your scout badge, pass the show along to a friend, a family member, or share it on social media. I'm doing this from the heart and it's important to me. People get a chance to learn as well. I used to look at people, they got up early and went to Barry's boot camp uh, or any other hardcore classes. I was like, you guys are insane. I won't lie. I still do low key. Like, I, I mean, it just seems so intense, especially for five or six in the morning. 
uh, and not to be some sort of active military person. But I digress. But I've been going pretty hard myself and I started to do some reflection on the drivers of that that effort. I've shared with many friends and even on Instagram lately that over the last year and a half, I've lost about 50 pounds. And I'm not saying any of this to get some sort of round of applause or, um, you know, this isn't a validation comment. It's just I'm just sharing some things that are real. Many of my friends were shocked and I would be, too. They were shocked because uh, they were like, dude, you didn't look like you had 50 pounds to lose. Um, you didn't look you don't you didn't look like you were 50 pounds heavier. They could they it was hard for them to see the difference you know, if they were seeing me regularly, but for my friends who didn't see me that often, I mean, they, when they saw me, they're like, Whoa, bridges, you're different. I was, for the most part, I was fortunate enough to carry the weight like a football player. I was sort of puffy in the face and I really had sort of the belly. Um, it was a real source of insecurity for me, to be honest. Um, and I had all the cravings and plenty of the food available for me to satiate those cravings. So, they they just didn't see something uh, because, you know, I wore the weight pretty normal, you know, just look like a, a six foot dude that looks like he could uh, uh, run the football a little bit. But it's inevitable these days that people like trading information on diets and self-care routines. I had a couple of people ask me what I did to lose the weight. My answer is a simple one. One, I cut out artificial sugar. I hadn't had a soft drink, or I haven't had a soft drink, um, my favorite one being ice cold Coca-Cola uh, in more than a year. And by the way, I love Coca-Cola so much. I remember when I was back in Georgia playing basketball, I used to go to what was then just called a college, Kennesaw State College. Um, I used to go to the gym with my brother. We'd play hoops on the weekend. And afterwards, we swing by Wendy's. Uh, just to clarify, Wendy's is not my favorite fast food. The fries are garbage. McDonald's is a favorite. But Wendy's was right across the street from the, the gym, and it was on the way home. So we would get some Wendy's, and it, I would order, order like a Junior Whopper with cheese, the fries, and a large Coke. And back then, you were burning calories every day. I was playing sports. I was outside, whatever. So I would down that Coca-Cola. Sometimes I would get refills. And I just remember that bite at the back of the throat. My goodness. It's literally the best thing about a Coca-Cola. That carbonation bite at the back of the throat that breaks up the food that's in your that's, that you've just recently swallowed. Ah, oh, it's a palate cleanser. It's sweet. It's tasty. Ah. Oh. <laughs> Can't believe I lost 50 pounds. Um, but <laughs> Coca-Cola was an addiction. It was amazing. Um, I haven't even had ice cream in that same amount of time. And my friends know that as well about me, that ice cream, my addiction. I consider myself an ice cream connoisseur. It was my favorite snack to eat at night. For, for a time there, I would even guess maybe about three years of my life, I probably was crushing about a half a pint a night. And if I smoked, maybe sometimes I'd crush almost a whole pint. I mean, that was more rare, but half a pint easily on top of other snacks at night. So there was a period of time in my life that I was just gluttonous. Like I was just gluttonous. And I mean, like 
nothing was stopping me, no boundaries. I would just eat past being full. And part of that, I think, was an emotional coping mechanism. But either way, same outcome, overweight and pre-diabetes, so not cool. But anyway, I want to be clear. I have these addictions to the worst types of sugar intake. And, and now I still eat sugar. Like I still consume sugar. But I cut out the artificial sugar. And, you know, occasionally I'll have an item that has some sugar in it uh, that's artificial, that's added sugar. Uh, but mostly it's either by mistake because I'm eating out and can't control uh, what people cook with uh, in terms of sauces or, or whatever it may be. And, you know, and then occasionally because I've done so well at maintaining my discipline, I might have something and just say, you know what, I'm going to do it. It's whatever. Uh, but very rarely on that last piece. So number one thing I did to help with the weight is cut out the artificial sugar. The second thing I did was I committed to doing intermittent fasting. Now, the first couple months that I did intermittent fasting, I was really sort of making up my own rules. That's That goes into that sort of ego and pride thing. It's like everybody's talking about intermittent fasting. I'm just going to do it my way because really I know what I'm doing. I know what's best for my body. So really what I did when I first started out on this no artificial sugar and fasting kick was I just cut out breakfast. That was such a heavy meal for me. You know, if I went to the studio and ate, ate a meal with the crew, I would order like an omelet with cheese, American cheese. Uh, and that took up a whole plate, basically. Add my salt. Sometimes it'd come with a little potato or hash on the side. I would have a fruit um, fruit medley or fruit salad or whatever, which is really just a lot of melon and a couple grapes in a, you know, in a plastic uh, tin or whatever. And I would crush that every day I was at the studio. If I was home, sometimes I'd order. Sometimes I'd just make my own thing, like two eggs, sausage, uh, maybe a piece of fruit with that, like an apple or two mandarins or whatever. But I would have a pretty significant breakfast. Sometimes there'd be bread involved. I remember for a little while there, I was like smothering jelly on and butter on bread. So anyway, I was having a significant part of my calorie intake uh, at breakfast. So I just thought, you know what, for my fasting, I'll just cut out breakfast and that will deal with half of my problem. So I hit this plateau and I thought to myself, well, now I need to actually do this thing correctly so that it can actually work correctly. Or maybe I'm just hitting a plateau and therefore I'm not cutting enough calories by fasting or giving my body enough time to actually digest the food that I am eating. So I really need to stick to the rules here. And that's when I cranked it up a notch and I went with the 16-8 method, which I've stuck for for the past, I want to say like three or four months. That has been my thing. Eight-hour window of eating, 16 hours into the fast. Oh, another thing I want to mention as part of that sort of cutting out artificial sugar and the fasting thing, another diet item basically is what I'm saying is that I actually have almost cut out bread completely. So that, yeah, the only only places I eat bread really are sourdough. I still eat uh, tortillas with my tacos, but most of the time we're talking about a corn tortilla. So, you know, a little healthier. Anyway, so I cut out a lot of bread too. So that was very helpful as well. But the third point that I want to get to is the third thing that happened in 
uh, as well. As, and I can't underscore how important uh, those first two things are. But the last thing I've done is make exercise mandatory at least six days a week. And I'm literally saying mandatory six days a week. I've only been doing this for like three or four weeks. So hopefully that sticks, uh, you know, in a, a more a more frequent working situation where I'm back and forth to the studio more regularly. I don't know if I can hold to this, but I'm going to try my best to make it mandatory. But six days of exercise. And that doesn't mean I have to run six miles or bike 30 miles or whatever. It just means, look, if you have the time, run a mile, run two miles. You know, if you can exercise for 30 minutes, maximize that 30 minutes. If you can spend an hour, do the whole hour. But the point is to make sure that I'm exercising regularly because we all know that abs are made in the kitchen. But I think, you know, part of, you know, metabolism, part of a sharp mind, it requires you to actually get out there and exercise. And so I'm trying to make that a very important part of my regimen. And I think, you know, if you were looking for weight loss advice too, that's something you would want to, to focus on as well. The reason that I'm talking about weight loss is because I wanted to spend time, a little bit of time, this will be a probably a shorter episode, but I wanted to spend a little time talking about commitment because, because every journey, every journey that is a struggle requires some sort of commitment. It requires some stick-to-itiveness, some grit. And weight loss just happens to be the, the most recent battle that I've been on trying to beat back a pre-diabetes diagnosis, trying to beat back, uh, you know, essentially being overweight for the last, I don't know, maybe six years. But the thing that you can learn from weight loss and, and, and what it takes to get down that road with commitment is something that applies to all other aspects of our lives. And I think commitment, if you can get your head around it, figure out the best way to really implement systems in your life, that is the best way to maximize efficiency, to guarantee the outcomes that you're looking to get. And that is the same thing that applies to finance, freelance, career, relationships. All these things require some sort of commitment at different levels in different ways, but that's the unlock, the commitment, the system. What's the deeper point? is that we all have these unlocks inside us. But sometimes we have to be forceful to get to them. Sometimes we have to create a habit to make something easy and reflexive. I had ballooned to 225 pounds at my worst, and my doctor had warned me that my blood test reflected a pre-diabetes diagnosis. I felt like I had this scarlet letter on my back, and honestly, I was starting to be afraid of what my health would look like in the future. The picture was already not very exciting. Those experiences were a catalyst, but they only represented a potential for change. In order to get that kinetic energy to flow, I had to give myself a chance to see progress. The lesson here is that it's okay to start slow. Make the problem small. My biggest worry was diabetes, which was related to my diet. I started my turnaround by simply committing to one thing, cutting out artificial sugar. This was, I think, March. This was probably March of 2019, I guess. Not that very, not that long ago. 
I remember eating my last McDonald's breakfast sandwich on set with Kith at some factory, the color factory in New Jersey. And it was on that day that I was like, that's it. Not going back to this anymore. I started my turnaround by simply committing to one thing, cutting out artificial sugar. I saw progress rapidly. That got me excited, but then you sort of slowly meander into a plateau. How could I chase the next wave of progress? Keep it small. Add on a new layer. I added on intermittent fasting. Cutting out the artificial sugar reduced my cravings and dependence on sweets to feel like a meal was complete. But even I started intermittent fasting on my own terms, still using dollops of honey with my tea in the morning, picking whatever time I wanted to eat my first meal, as long as it was lunch or later that I started my real eating. Baby steps, right? You know, the thing about cutting out artificial sugar, intermittent fasting, starting a workout regimen, is that they all suck when you start them. They all literally suck. Artificial Cutting out artificial sugars, that sucked for a good month. It wasn't hard to do physically, but mentally, it was like, okay, why don't I just have this one dessert? I have the discipline to not eat it again, but I always try to tell myself it's a slippery slope. So starting artificial sugar, uh, off getting off artificial sugar, it sucked. Starting intermittent fasting, cutting out breakfast, something I've relied on for 34 years of my life. Whoa, man. And breakfast happens to be a dope meal, one that I have several times substituted into my dinner slot. Um, that was hard. That was really hard to quit. And the first week, I want to say maybe it was the first two weeks, that was rough because I had these pangs of hunger in the morning and drinking water and tea on a empty stomach for the first couple minutes, it just feels like I wanted to be, I just wanted to throw up. Like I wanted real food and I was substituting it with this empty stuff. But eventually you warmed up to the process and you realize like, I don't need this food. My body's stronger than that. I'm not weak. So baby steps again, baby steps. But again, then the progress slowed, right? At, at every point in our journey, you have this exponential progress and then slow down. I went from intermittent fasting on my own terms to getting myself on a real intermittent fasting plan. Same thing with exercise. The way I enticed myself to make it daily and habitual was to set the bar super low. To me, that's sort of a low-key magic bullet. There's a lot of people that try to gun it for the top results, optimal results, the hardest working out of the gate. Nah, not me. I was like, let me just set the bar super low, super low. That way I can commit. I didn't want to mentally commit to running multiple miles a day or having the bike the entire island of Manhattan daily. So I had to compromise. I had to make a compromise with myself. I looked at myself and said, Justin, the bare minimum I want you to do to exercise each day is to just run one mile. What's that cost me? 10 minutes tops? That's not really a big deal. 10 minutes. Does it suck to have to lace up the shoes and put on the clothes and go outside and during a heat wave? Yeah, of course. But once you're outside, 10 minutes? How can I make an excuse to myself that I can't spare that time? But really, even more so than the trick of starting slow and all that kind of stuff is, once I was outside and in the thick of a run, 
I wanted more. I wanted to perform and push my body. So the low bar helped me cross the threshold of lacing up my running shoes and getting outside. But once the mental obstacle was cleared, I was down to push myself much harder. In fact, the other day, my girlfriend asked me, why are you being so intense with your workouts? And I was like, well, I don't have anything else to do. And plus, it's not like I'm trying to run six, seven miles. I literally, this is how my workout goes for anybody that's curious. After I'm done with all my emails for the day or most of them, and I've gotten past a lot of the work that I wanted to focus on, it's right around my fasting period. And in order for me to sort of push the fasting period back just a little bit more, that's when I go ahead and say, I'm going to lace up my sneakers. I'm going to get outside. I get outside. It's right around 3.30 or 4, maybe 5 o'clock at latest. And I go outside. You know, I do a little warm up and then I just go. And in my head, I'm thinking, I'm just going to run to Central Park and back. If I were to just do that, it would be about a mile and a half to the park, maybe well closer to a mile, but about a mile, mile and a half. And I could do a mile and a half back and that would give me three miles. Easy, flat surface, uh, no hills, pretty easy way to, to book, you know, maybe 20 minutes of a workout. But by the time I get halfway into the first mile, I'm thinking, you know what, if I get if I make it to the park, then I just kind of want to maybe I'll just run around the lake because at least, you know, I'll get a little bit of extra time. You know, I have the time. And plus, I'll get some nature. Like, who wants to run to Central Park and then turn around at the gates? Like, I kind of want to see the park. I want to enjoy the fact that I have this outdoor next to me, uh, these great outdoors. So I get to the park. I start running around the first little lake on the north side of Central Park. And then I see, okay, my path gets split. I could just run around this lake or I could run up the first giant hill and maybe try to make it to the Central Park Reservoir, which is that big, big sort of lake thing in the middle of the park. But then when I get to the reservoir, it's not like, oh, I'm just going to turn around. So then I'm like, okay, maybe I'll run around the reservoir. And instead of completing the whole circle, then I'll just leave and come back the opposite way. So if I came in on the east side of the park, I'll leave on the west side or vice versa or whatever. And so with each incremental push of myself, since I'm already outside, I I'm, end up adding so much more. It's not like I'm just adding a quarter of a mile. When I decide to take that next journey, I'm like adding an, an additional mile or an additional, you know, three quarters of a mile. And that all adds up. And that ends up being taking a, what was a minimum requirement of one mile. And that ends up stretching it to, you know, a five mile journey, you know, which is awesome. But that's, that's sort of what really happens. That's, that's the real trick of, of, of getting yourself to a point where you can get into a real habit. You set the bar low and then you gamify the system. You get excited by the progress. You get excited by things along the way and you just little challenges, little baby steps end up adding themselves together to create immense change, immense stamina, immense effort. Um, so Break things down into to small pieces. Everything you do in life, you can break down to small pieces. I guarantee that's a possibility. There are a lot of important changes we need to make in life. And they often feel like in order to get the best optimal results, it's either all or nothing. It's always, I got to do all this or I get none of the results. 
So I just, maybe I'll just do nothing because that, that barrier to entry to get up that path seems so scary. And it feels like it's a drastic commitment versus a very small one. It's helpful to remember that on the way to giving it your all, you can make incremental smaller changes that will help you align your path with your goal. You need to start investing for retirement, but don't have a clue where to start. You can start with reading one article and then adding one podcast like this one, Freelance Kills, to your daily listen. And then maybe you pick up one book on personal finance. And then maybe you turn around and add another book and another book or start reading a a new website that you find and then adding the second and the third podcast. Now, I'm not saying you got to focus all your energy on on finance podcasts to get ready for retirement. Not what I'm saying, but incremental additions really, really pave the way. Allow yourself patience when moving into the unknown, but make sure to notice the progress and let that motivate you. Patience moving into the unknown. That's a big deal. I find that with most of the people that I coach, the biggest hurdle between them actually finding me and finally talking to me and getting their behaviors in order, their house, their financial house in order is usually fear. It's usually fear. And then it's this impatience. It's like, I'm scared because I don't want to look at this mess. But then when I look at this mess, now I want to be 100% done. I want to get all the way across the border. I want to finish this mess and put it behind me. But everything in life, all the growth that we experience, all the changes we have to make, you have to have the patience to understand that they're lifelong commitments, they're lifelong changes, their growth just takes time. Now, with finance and retirement, you don't necessarily have to be tinkering at it every day, every minute. It's not like that. That's not what I'm saying. I'm saying that you have to give yourself the patience to learn. You can't just talk to an expert and then it's done. You can't just read a book and then it's done. You can't just listen to a podcast and then it's done. You have to give yourself that grace and that time. And you got to give yourself that leeway to build your knowledge base, to get comfortable with something before you can make it habitual and routine. So give yourself patience when you're moving into the unknown. Now, that piece about noticing the progress and letting it motivate you. When you save that first $500, That should damn sure motivate you to save the next $500 because four digits is always going to feel better than three. When you pay off that first credit card, let that motivate you to pay off that next credit card or the student loan. When you learn something about how to invest in a stock market or how to open up your Betterment or Vanguard account, that's awesome. Now, how do I purchase my first security to put in my portfolio? Take your time. There's no rush. I mean, as long as it doesn't take you another decade to get yourself on track, then take your time. There's no rush. Another example from a coaching session I had um, last week with somebody that was looking to set boundaries and understand how to negotiate rates uh, because they felt like they were getting asked for a lot of overages to be completed for free. You know, I said, don't just send out an email to everyone at once. You're nervous about this. You're not necessarily ready for this. So don't try to accomplish the entire goal with one email blast, right? As as a metaphor, right? Try having the conversation with one new client or one current client. Just try it with one, one person that you interface with. 
See how that goes. See what you can learn from that interaction. And then try it with one or two more. You don't have to accomplish the goal right away. In fact, it's almost better to do things piecemeal because you get to learn and then improve, learn and then improve. And this lockstep movement towards an eventual outcome to being a better freelancer with boundaries and better rates is something that you have to look forward to, but it's something that you created a very strong foundation, one that you never have to rebuild again. So take your time to get to it so that you set it up correctly because I know that you don't you definitely don't want to have that pricing conversation with the client more than once. You don't want to have to make a mistake and then have to revisit it two, three times, a year or two year down the road. So be patient. Take your time. Start small. It's all about incremental change. We don't have to accomplish our goals in a day or even a month. We just need to do the incremental steps to create the glide path to make it reflexive. We want the things that look or seem hard to eventually just be something that we put on autopilot. The only way to do that is to build up our confidence, our knowledge, our experience, and let the progress motivate us until we don't have to think about it anymore. So what have we learned? We've learned that commitment is a core foundation for what we need in order to push the ball up the court, in order to make real progress in our lives. And sometimes in order to get to that level of commitment that you need to sustain yourself and to stay in the saddle, you need to make a big problem, a future big goal, a dream, an outcome that you're looking for. You need to make it small. You need to make it really small. Sometimes you need to make set the bar, the expectation level much lower on yourself because there are things that we just can't change about the way that our brains work. But we can trick the brain into working with us. And so if I want to lose weight, instead of setting the goal at 50 pounds, why don't I start at five? If I want to make sure I exercise every day, instead of trying to set the maximum distance I want to run in order to guarantee this caloric burn or something, instead, why don't I just say, you know what? A mile is something that doesn't stress me out. Let's start with the mile. If I want to get better about having conversations with clients, instead of trying to talk to all of them and setting a to-do list and then just scratching them each off the list, regardless of how the outcome of the conversation goes, why don't I just pick one client? Make the problem small, make the progress incremental, and set the bar low so that you can get your mind tricked and ready to just tackle that challenge instead of worrying about the burden of what could be a bigger challenge if that's how you went. One thing I want to add here that wasn't in what I just talked about is how do you make something small? How do you make a problem small? I find that a lot of what we're equipped with in college and school in general is we are taught to pass tests. We aren't necessarily taught how to think. And I talk about this a lot on the podcast, but knowing how to think, learning how to think, that's how you make a problem small. So quick recap, we have setting the bar low on your own personal expectations so that you can blow past them and motivate yourself. We got taking a big problem, making it small, using incremental steps in order to accomplish the bigger goal. And lastly, which I I didn't include in this, is if you can follow this simple, simple framework in a small way to start changing the way you think, 
changing the way that you approach issues, changing the way you approach goals, changing the way you approach future, you know, big dreams or whatever it may be. You are going to be able to build up motivation, confidence. You're going to learn a lot. You're going to accumulate so many different experiences and all these things, this way of thinking, this way of being, this way of doing, this way of challenging yourself, all these things have application in all the pillars that we care about on Freelance Kills, money, career, wellness. So this is a short episode. Sorry about that. Uh, but this was something I was writing and I was like, ah, oh, do I make it longer? No, no, no. There's no need to make it longer. The gist of the conversation is here. It's here. It's all wrapped up into this in this bow. Commitment. Let's break it down. Let's talk about the components of getting the commitment and changing the way we act and behave. So I think this was good. There will be more random Q&A bonus mini episodes dropping. But for now, I hope you can you know use this small, short teaching as something you can listen to. Listen to it on repeat. I think if you the more you can bake this in, the better off you'll be. But again, thank you for listening to another week of Freelance Kills. Next week, I'm hoping to drop another episode probably with a guest, but we'll see. I'm kind of toying with a couple things, but hope you have a great week and look forward to chatting with you on social media and everywhere else you can find me. But thanks for listening. At the age of 18, this was my life, right? So you can't possibly become better than me because you're not spending the time on it that I do. That's the only way you get better is by pushing yourself past exhaustion. Right now, imagine you wake up at three, train at four, go four to six, come home, breakfast, relax, till so blah, blah, blah. Now you're back at it again, nine to 11, right? Relax, and now it's done, you're back at it again, two to four, and now you're back at it again, seven to nine. Look how much more training I have done by simply starting at four, right? So now you do that. And as the years go on, the separation that you have with your competitors and your peers just grows larger and larger and larger and larger and larger. And by year five or six, it doesn't matter what kind of work they do in the summer, they're never going to catch up. There's a choice that we have to make as people, as individuals. If you want to be great at something, it's a choice that you have to make. We all can be masters at our craft, but you have to make a choice. I love what I do. And it's as simple as that. There's, there's, I get so much enjoyment from it.